Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 769, with Kyle and Sarah. You don't know it all. You don't know it all. And you need to rely on um, people who work with you. Not for you. They work with you. They're the ones cutting the onions, doing the stuff you don't want to do. Um, but that's where I leaned in heavy on my Marco and Pepe stuff. Like, we have to organize this place. You need to know if she didn't make the salad dressing. It needs to be on a prep sheet. It needs to be... You know, there are a lot of challenges there. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Streamline your clean faster than ever before with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Ecolab's two-in-one sink and surface cleaner sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house, back of house, and the third sink. Like other EPA-registered food contact surface sanitizers, it helps protect against foodborne illness. To learn more, visit ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free what are you doing right now i'll tell you what you're doing if you're in the market for a new pos you're headed to toasttab.com slash unstoppable to set up your own demo and you're going to find out why it's the most recommended pos on the show by a landslide guys if you use my link not only will you get the incentives that toast is offering you by using the link I'll also share my commission with you. I'll split my commission with you 50-50 after taxes. That's about $2,000. So I'll send you a check for $1,000 to say thank you and to help support you during these weird times. Again, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but before we hit play, I just want to remind you to please support the show. There's a bunch of different ways you can do it. The first way, use our sponsors. Uh, when you support our sponsors, they continue to support us. It's that simple. Uh, you can support the show by leaving a five-star review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Those reviews go such a long way with uh, the ranking within iTunes, so thank you in advance if you did leave a review. Uh, you can use our affiliates. So whenever there's a tool or service that's recommended on the show, that's my cue to reach out to that company and see if they have an affiliate program. If they do, uh, then they pay us for referrals. So just make sure you're using our links, head over to restaurantunstoppablecom slash whatever the episode number is. And there's a summary of every conversation there waiting for you with the links to the tools and services recommended. And then lastly, please share this podcast. If you're finding value and I know you are because you keep coming back, share this episode with everyone and anyone you would know that who's aspiring to be great in the industry. And here's a great way to share it. When you're listening on your phone, 
just screen capture the episode and, and send it to your story. And then make sure you tag us, Eric, E-R-I-C, Cacciatore, C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E. Eric Cacciatore is my handle. I'll be sure to thank you in person uh, or at least through Instagram. Um, all right. So we have a great show for you today. Today's guest um, really dives into some great advice on things to consider when getting into partnerships and also just the physical building, the the curveballs that you can throw at you and just how you need to be mindful and really you know try to pro- project and anticipate some of these crazy things that can happen when you get into um, your physical location. So uh, really great stuff today. I hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. Here it is. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest. He's a graduate from the French Culinary Institute, where he graduated with honors after working in notable restaurants, Marco Pepe, sorry, Marco and Pepe and Anthony Davids. He moved to St. John, U.S. Virgin Islands, where he became the executive chef for a privately owned restaurant group. On his return to the Northeast, he opened the restaurant. Say it for me. Pulpatina. Pulpatina. <laughs> and he eventually forced, it was forced out by his partners. I cannot wait to get into that story. Uh, today, he's the co-founder of La La Taqueria and is a commercial real estate advisor with a focus on brand growth and execution of real estate strategies for emerging restaurants. In addition, he's the host of the uh, National Restaurant Owners Podcast, where he shares his experience and interviews uh, with fellow, sorry, where he shares his experiences and interviews with fellow industry professionals provide you with the insight our industry often lacks. Uh, Kyle and Sarah, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am. I mean, this cup of coffee is is helping for sure. I've been keeping the cup full. I'm trying to get you all... No, on I know the edge trick. here. Yeah, Don't worry. I'm on. That's yeah. We're good nice, now, dude. I, I cannot wait to dive into your story. But we start every episode off uh, with a success quote or a mantra. Is there one that comes to mind? One that rings near and dear to your heart? <laughs> Can I swear on this show? Absolutely. Okay, so, Absolutely, <laughs> man. Knock yourself out. So uh, my mantra late of late um, is move fast and break shit. Move fast and break shit. Okay, dive into that. Um. You know, it's really like a metaphor for, I mean, I'm not physically breaking things, but like, you know, just get it done. Don't worry about what's in your way, what you're going to do wrong, yeah. or what is potentially uh, something you don't understand. Yep. So the podcast is one of those things. Creating content is one of those yep. things. Um, just get it done. Keep, keep yeah. moving forward regardless of what's happening around Two you. Two things are coming into my mind hearing you say that. The first thing is just start. The time is never going to be just right. Right. The time's never going to be you know, perfect. Just start. And you, whatever you're creating is never going to be perfect. Right. But it will be better if you start and you keep on doing it. So just that, that's, and I, so I could not agree more with what you, the, the sentiment you're sharing with us. And the reality is when you mess up, that's what people find more yeah, endearing anyway. Exactly. And I think that's why it's really important to start small. I yep. think people think that they have to start big and they need to invest in something huge. And they're not legitimate until they have this huge, beautiful brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. Fuck that, man. Just start now documenting your recipes or yeah, right. whatever like you can start small you know and you scale up quick yep i love it man great way to get this thing started um where does it make sense to start sharing your story because you you didn't know that you were going to be in this industry until early 20s yeah after college okay. after my yeah after my four-year college so yep. i um you know i guess it makes sense to, to talk about growing up but you know i was in school middle school and a bunch of kids started a bunch of my buddies were working they had money. 
And I was like, where do you, where do you guys get this money from? And I was like in eighth or ninth grade, whatever it was. And they're like, oh, there's this new restaurant brewery that opened up and uh, they need help. I'm like, well, give me a job, dude. Right. Like, so um, they did. And my first job there was, uh, it's a very official title called Glassboy, which I'm sure is probably going to get a lot of, would get a lot of people uh, in HR uh, fired up here in that. Glassboy? Glassboy. I don't yeah. wanna, should I know that reference? Um it's in reference to the fact that it was a brewery. It was very ahead of its time, the space. It was, a, it was a microbrewery restaurant in Jericho called Long Island Brewing Company. And um, there were tons of like these liter pint glasses with their logo on them. And it just you know, everyone's drinking them. And they just had these double-stack dishwashers. You would get them. Everything, yep. Some stuff would go to the dish pit. All the glasses would go to the glass boy. Okay. Worked my way oh, up. Oh, so glass boy as in, okay. As in wash them, yeah. Right. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So you okay. spent hours upon hours standing in essentially a closet with double-stack dishwashers. And, um, yeah, I thought you were talking about like a fragile boy at first. I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> that, that's a, yeah. Yeah. It's a movie. It's actually like a movie right? about that. Yeah. Um, so at this time, did you have like an inkling or an idea that like, maybe like this is something that you love that you want to do for your life or was, was a, was a seed planted at this time or no? Well, it was cool, right? Yeah. It was, I was hanging around. The chef was uh, unbelievable. Yeah. The big dude had like the, uh, captain Lou Albano with the rubber bands on his nice. uh, beard. He it's had the, the gauged picture. earrings before, like okay. I even knew what they were. He drove a duster with a chain link steering wheel. Uh, and he was smoking weed all the time. <laughs> And he was loud and he, like, people were just drawn to him. You know, he yeah. was very charismatic. And it just was connected to me as, like, this is a job. Like, people right. are, like, you know, there's all sorts of I crazy think, shenanigans. Dude, I love there. that. And I think that's that's exactly why I love this industry is because of the characters that are tr- attracted to it and the 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 freeness to be yourself, yeah. right? And I think there there are, there's, in my opinion, no other industry that has as creative, as driven, as passionate, as charismatic individuals in it than the restaurant industry. Um, so I, I can, I can jive with that. Yeah. And it's, it's been nice to see as time's gone on. I mean, remember there was time you can't show your tattoos. You got to cover your tattoos in the Not restaurant, anymore. but now it's so accepting. Yeah. And that's one of the great things I love about this business. Yeah, for but sure, man. That um, was it. It was the people, it was yeah. the people there that really drew, drew me there. So you ended up going to school for marketing, correct? I went to school. I thought I was doing the right. I played sports. Yeah. So I wanted a place where I could play football and baseball. I went to Franklin Marshall college in Pennsylvania and um, I did that. And then it, it's a good, small, very well-respected liberal arts school. And everyone who graduates there either works on Wall Street, is a doctor, or is a lawyer okay. for the most part. Um, so I graduated from there by the skin of my teeth. And I, um, you know, all during those summers, I was working in restaurants, um, waitering, busing, doing whatever I, I had to do. And it was my go-to. I knew yeah. I didn't look for other jobs. I looked for a restaurant or I contacted the place that I worked the summer before. Um, yeah, I graduated from there and just was, you know, I had to do the right thing. I had to get a real job. And yeah. um, I did. And so, it sucked. <laughs> so I was curious because, like, I know that you, you got in, you were working. Um, exact, what was your job after college? After college, my first job was as an assistant media buyer okay. at Ogilvy & Mather, which is a massive ad agency. Okay. Uh, do you ever wonder, like, if you, you made the wrong choice getting off that path of, like, kind of like the, the, the safe corporate path where or I'm, I'm just curious maybe once maybe once <laughs> no you know what because i i realized pretty early on that i value freedom more than being mm. than a job money is awesome i always want money that's great um but i couldn't i never ever i remember sitting there being like why am i doing this i could be doing something else for me yeah i didn't know what it was i had no idea what it was but i knew there had to be something out there that did not include me sitting down at a computer all day long and putting stuff into 
yeah. system. And was, I know it was it was a nine eleven two thousand one, right? That was yeah. what happened. That you kind of got jerked or like shook out of whatever world you're in. That kind of was what you needed. Sounds weird to say that to, yeah. to get off the tra- the path you were on. Take us to that point. Like, well, how did that influence you? So I had left the. First of all, the salary there was about twenty eight thousand dollars a year. Okay, and uh, I was like, "This is is not going to work." Mm-hmm. And my dad's like, "How are you going to make this work? This is not you're not making money." And I was thinking I was going to, but these guys ahead of me make X, Y, and Z, and he's like, "It's not working out for you." Yeah. So I went to chase the money. I started working. My buddy of mine got me a, a hookup at um, this group from Morgan Stanley that was moving over to Prudential Securities, and this was. Um, you know, hey, I work on Wall Street, make money. Okay. Like, you make, yeah, you make no money there <laughs> until you do anything. So, um, 9-11 happened, and I took a couple days to process. I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey at the time. I took a couple days to process, and I was there one day, and it's exactly what you think it's like. You know, all these guys, big shots, they think they got it all figured out. And uh, I sat down. You sit down in these long benches, like a bullpen with everybody there. They all 18 inches apart, you yeah. know, and... Uh, I just sat down with my headphones on and, you know, headset, and I was getting ready to do my cold calling, which was awful. And I said um, to myself, I'm like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And I just took my headset off and I walked out. Good for you, man. I think it takes balls. It takes (laughs) huge balls to just get up and walk away after like how many years of investment, five years, how much money for school, all those things to say this isn't the right path. And I can relate with that because I had to do it when I was a commercial pilot. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I was a commercial pilot. I was on this path and I was like, I don't like this. I'm not good at this. This isn't my natural path. Yeah. Like, and it's scary as fuck to like, to walk away from something that you put time and energy into, but it takes bravery, man. So I commend you to be able to, to do that. I, I wasn't even thinking how brave it was. I just was thinking, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, give me too much dad, dad, you might have to help me out for a little bit because I'm going to go make seven fifty an hour as a line cook somewhere until yeah. I figure this out. But you ended up going to culinary school. Um, so did, was like, how long did it take you to kind of rejigger a new path for yourself? So nine eleven, it was I think like three weeks before we were allowed to go back to work. So beginning of October of that year, maybe I lasted a week or two more. And how just, how was it? I don't know if I have the understanding. Of how did nine eleven specifically shake you out of that? Was it like a well, when nine eleven happened, I was in the city. Yeah, and I was um, we had to run out of the city. It was like a total madness. I yeah. ran down. Down, we got out of the, got in the elevator, got down, I can only ran imagine. to the West Side Highway. Yeah, ran to the West Side Highway, and I cut everybody on the line, and I got on to the ferry <laughs> to to get. I figured that was the safest way. I'm not going over the bridge. I'm not going in the tunnel. Yeah. God knows what's going to happen. Yeah, and I went back to Hoboken, New Jersey, and I just, I guess, something in my subconscious they thought like, dude, what what are you doing? This is these people all died doing. A lot of them probably felt the same way. Yeah, and um. You know, I think about my mom. I lost my mom at a young age, so I think about that a lot. And I'm like, shoot, I can't do what I don't want to do. Good for you, man. So, yeah. you know, the, the, we only have one life, and you have to enjoy what you're doing. I think we put so much emphasis on money and security, and those things are important. But what's the point if you don't enjoy the, the journey, yeah. the, the the ride, right? So, um, so you go to the French Culinary Institute. Uh, any key mentors that stand out to you in that time that influenced the man you are today, the professional you are today in culinary school? Yeah. Um. No, culinary school was. Well, I mean, maybe. I mean, there's a lot that Every I learned. Once like, in a while, yeah. somebody says there somebody was some, popped up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I loved culinary school. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. This is unbelievable, you know. And I yeah. and I I was good at it. I, I don't know why. I never really cooked 
you know, I would cook yeah. with my grandmother as a kid, but that was all very, you know, meatballs and pasta. And um, I, what I picked, picked up there was the professionalism of the industry. Like how really, I mean, I grew up in a Sicilian family and it's like, the opposite of that style of cooking. You know, yeah. Sicilian is throw this in, throw that, and this is yeah, a measure. Yeah, a little of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm measuring. Well, last thing's catch a flower. Yeah, there you about. go. There you go. <laughs> so I, um, I learned the structure and the professionalism, and that's what that that did strike me. Yeah, is that the chefs who were there were like, no, that's not good enough. Do that again. And I'm yeah, like, weighing it out. Yeah, like it's what? in grams. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Um, so you graduate. Um, what's what's going through your mind? Like, how are you? Are you intentional with the path you're taking? How did you find your first job? Hmm. Any key mentors in the restaurant industry when you broke in? So I, you know, I was older, right? Yeah. So I wasn't. This that was like 24 or 25, and I I couldn't afford to go to be in the city. And basically, I can tell you a funny story. Um, you know, once you start to finish up there, you're level four, <clears throat> excuse me, you're level four, you actually work this, the French, French culinary had a school, um, sorry, a restaurant that called Lake Cole, which was your level four that was open to the public. So you worked, you're right on, right off of Broadway down on Canal Street over there and you, um, would cook for people coming in the restaurant. So, uh, during that time you kind of like start to get your resume in order. You start to like reach out to people. And I reached out to, at the time. Uh, Tom Clicchio, you know, still is, oh, and I, he was the contact, yeah. yeah. And I was trying to get in touch with them. But, you know, that balance of – I was working at a restaurant in Hoboken called Company, and I'm still friends with the owner today, which is crazy. But, um, you know, you're trying to get an interview at another place, and you're interviewing and you're working, so you have to, like, kind of BS that. Like, oh, I have a dentist appointment tomorrow. I can't come in. Can I come in a little yeah. bit later? You know, that kind of thing. So I had just done that somewhere else, and um, I was like, crap, I got to – I'm at the work in the city, and um, but the city was a lot less money. Hoboken they were paying me a little bit more money, but I'm like, I need the experience. And I called there, and he offered me a date. Like, hey, can you come in Wednesday at one or something like that? And I said I can't because I had another one for some other place. I don't remember what it was. And uh, he said, how about this time? And I said, I, I can't. He's like, look, do you want the fucking job or not? And I was like, no, I don't. Okay. I don't want it. Why so, didn't you want it? You know what? <laughs> Knowing myself the way I am now, I was probably just put off like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. You know what I mean? He wasn't, I mean, he was, the place was known, but it wasn't like, so I was like, I don't want to work for somebody like that. And okay. I don't know. He could have been having a bad day. I totally could say that to somebody now. Yeah. But um, I stayed where I was and um, was very happy there for a little while. Nice. Um, what Was there a key mentor in, in this place or key lessons or was this a transformative time for you or when did that? Very. Okay. Yeah. How? So my my boss, my buddy now, Rob Feinstein, um, he was not a restaurant guy. He was an architect, and he had this restaurant that was ahead of its time. It was kimchi, fried chicken, burgers, very a lot of things you see on the menu now. And we were executing it together, and I learned a respect for the restaurant owner there. You know, Looking back now is that he was doing both jobs. He had a partner who was kind of would come up and host every once in a while, but wasn't really working out for him. And I remember kind of being very proud of what I was doing, and he was just like, you know, what do you want to fucking kiss? I'm like, I was just trying to, and I just started picking up on how serious this was. You know, this was this guy's livelihood to an extent. He put a lot of money into it, a lot of energy, and it was, I owed him the respect of doing certain things right. Okay. So I might be missing something. So you're you're proud of the work you're doing. Were you looking for Were you looking for recognition? Were you asking for recognition? Probably, yeah. Okay. I mean, I was a very ego-driven chef at the time, you know, and it was um, – his restaurant was a mess. And yeah. I went in there. I went in there 
relatively soon, and he had like six guys working in the kitchen. And the place sat like 40 people. Okay. And his payroll, you know, I just came out of culinary school, so I knew you know how to calculate his food costs, how to calculate his, you know, his payroll budgets. And his payroll was like 60% or something crazy. And I could see these guys, and they started just like, they were like milking him. They knew what was going on. Yeah. They knew he wasn't paying attention. So I said, you're going to think this is crazy, but I think we should fire everybody except for these two dudes. This one guy, because it wasn't so busy. Yeah. And we were only open for dinner. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, him and the dishwasher and me for now. And we'll figure it out. And he's like, yeah, you do it. It's on you. And I did it. They all quit. I had to like physically hold those two guys in the kitchen <laughs> to stay there. They stayed. Um, and then we got sales went up. We opened for brunch. Got the food cost down. So I was presenting it to him and he was, must have been having a bad day. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was definitely looking for like, hey. There's some key lessons there. I mean, like, like I think that like labor cost is huge. And if, if you if you can get as lean as possible yeah. and lean more on systems and process than on people, then, you know, that's, I mean, so how did you, repl- once you lost this bandwidth or this, 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 like half of your workforce, how did you replace them? Or were they just slowing you down? They were just slowing us down. Okay. Yeah. The, the walk-ins were a mess. They were just milking the system for hours. Like we had like these, the image always comes in my head. This dude, Francisco was making these like white bean croquettes all the time. And he was making them like so slow. And I was like, dude, why are you making like 3000 of those a day? We only need, you know, he was just packing and then we we're throwing them out. It was like a real, real, real shit show. So not only your labor expense, but your food costs are way up because you're not using everything. Yeah. It was, you know, his mistake was probably, and I would think he would say the same is that he put too much faith in the guys that were there. Okay. And he wasn't really paying too much attention to that stuff. So when I did, I thought he was going to be grateful, but oh. you know, sometimes maybe I, so I that's have where the, the what do you want to kiss? Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly. where so yeah. he didn't really, but he, I think there's also a fucking lesson here too, is yeah. that if you have somebody who doesn't have any equity in the business come in and they're willing to like treat it like they own it and make a huge difference on your bottom line and, and make you more efficient and make you more profitable. Mm-hmm. Fucking kiss them. Yeah. <laughs> kiss them, man. Yeah. I you should have given you a kiss. Yeah. yeah like you got to show people that you appreciate what they're doing for you. Like, I mean, maybe ask first. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's, definitely in the HR manual. Yeah. Yeah. Need consent. But, um, anyway, I think, no, that's, there's a lesson to be learned there. And what happened? How long did you stay? So I kind of screwed him over Why? in the end because Maybe I wanted to work at a better kiss. restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he didn't, you know, we didn't hit it off. Yeah. Um, but there was a better restaurant in town that I wanted to work at. I worked at Anthony David's uh, for a while, which is, he's still there, What's I believe. A uh, eight months. Okay. And um, didn't work out, whatever reason. Anthony's a great guy. I also keep in touch with him. Um, we'll also be reaching him out to him soon for my real estate job because I have an opportunity in Hoboken. But um, <laughs> he, you know, what I got from him was in that short time I was there was how to make the most out of what you have. You okay. know, so we had a cafe in the morning and a restaurant at night. So if they had a poached salmon that they did at night, well, then the rest of it didn't, the tailpiece didn't sell. Well, there was going to be a basil pasta omelet salmon. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. An omelet, yeah. yeah. In the cafe during the day. And he cranked, like yeah. crank, 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 cranked out food. And I really learned a lot there. Then I left him to go to Marco and Pepe. Okay. Which is where I really learned most of the back of the house stuff that I know now and still. What are the most significant lessons you picked up at Marco and Pepe? Uh, Organization, cleanliness, and respect. Okay. Paint a picture of what organization is for Marco and Pepe. Oh, man. Dude, so it is like uh, Ian Capitan was the chef there. He was working at Vong, I think, John George's restaurant in the city. Okay. And he came over to. This place, Marco and Pepe, which was a bodega, 
Spanish guy owned it, and it was named after his two dogs, Marco and Pepe. Okay. And he had a ton of money. He made some bunch of money in the tech sector, and he just wanted a place to have coffee. And he met Ian, lived in the neighborhood, came in, and loved the place, and got hired out of the dining room. Okay. You could live upstairs. This is the place. Beautiful loft in Jersey City, Side which note, now would be. You, you never know who your guest is. Yeah, right. <laughs> like it could be your future investor. Totally. So treat everyone like they're your future investor. Yeah, right? absolutely. And that's and kind of like that's how it, how that little marriage happened. But Ian already had a great reputation from Toronto. He was super talented. Um, and what I learned from him, he was very calm, very patient, tatted up dude, rode a Harley, but very even keeled. Yeah. Never got fiery. Never got anything. And he, um, you went into that walk-in. I mean, you went to that basement where all this stuff was. It looked like a grocery store, like a insanely organized grocery store. The salt, the oils, everything was there with a label in front. Like, olive why oil, is that important? Oil. Who gives a fuck? You know, I come to learn that it's important for inventory purposes. And even if you're not conducting inventory, if it's clean, if it's like that, you can you start to get a feel for it. And you're like, why are we missing six bottles of truffle oil? Mm. Oh, we sold. You know. We had truffle mac and cheese, which was really cool at the time. I know it's very passe now. Yeah. But it was, you know, oh, well, we sold 150 of them last night. Oh, okay. What if we didn't? Like, why are they missing? So I learned that. And his prep system, his, uh, it was immaculate. Immaculate. Like, I've never seen anything like it. Give us an example of his, his prep system and what made it immaculate in higher than so normal standard. The real cool thing that he did was hired basically everybody at the same kind of level. So we didn't have like, oh, he's the new salad guy. It was basically him and then like three of us who were like sous chefs in a small restaurant who cranked out very, very, very high quality food for the time in that neighborhood. And um, you would rotate through stations, including him. So you would, he would be on salad one day, he'd be on expo another, he'd be on dessert. Um, and you would be on grill, saute, um, depending on whatever. So everyone rotated through. So you had to be able to step in to grill, look at the prep list, and know what to do. So we had a system of everything that we needed, uh, broken down very detailed, and then by day of the week, and it would be like, if you didn't need it, you didn't put anything. If you, um, there was like a, if it was downstairs, like prepped and downstairs, there was a code. If you need to just bring it up, you put a BU. But if you need to make it, it was X. So you could look at that and be like, okay, this is what I need to do. And if not your station the night before and that guy's off, you had everything right there. Yeah. And at the end of the night, we all reviewed it together. I'm like, yeah. okay, what is, what do you have to do? What do you have to do? And then we would say, okay, cool. See you tomorrow or yeah. see you in a couple it's, of days. It's good communication. And when we think of good communication, I think we think of like making sure we're saying something to somebody or there's a daily log or, I mean, these are all also good examples of good communication, but also it's giving your people the tools to give them the expectation you know, yeah. and like saying like, you need all this stuff. I'm like, that's also a good communication. It's a checklist. Like you're saying like, this is all the stuff you need and, and you can create a system around that, you know? Yeah. So you don't have to repeat it every freaking time. And when you he could, wasn't there, it was, it ran like clockwork. And I love that he moved you guys around. So now if so, somebody cut their finger off on the line, they can call an audible and everybody knows how to do every aspect of that job. Yeah. And, and he filtered people through, he filtered like other um, cooks, like the brunch guy. Yeah 
through the dish, which station. is, a, a, I'm sure, a big reason why he had it. He needed it to be so organized because it wasn't dependent on a person doing that job. It was a person doing a system for that job. Yeah. Now you can put any new person into that role because there's a system created, right? Um, and 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 even in like the the the, the basement, right? The the dry storage, um, having a label, having a spot for everything, and that's Mise Place, man. Like yeah. everything has its place, and you can instantly, with a glance, know where you are. Like, oh, we need to order more of that. I'm sure he had great par stocks, too. Yeah. Um, and everybody else picks up on it, too. So they're like, you know, it's the analogy that I've heard before where it's like, if you see a house in your neighborhood that has a couple broken windows, usually the kids walk by, they're going to throw rocks at it because yeah. now it looks like everybody can throw rocks at it. Exactly. Fine. Yeah. It's like, that's what happened in New York City with Mayor whatever. I th- they talk about this in um, uh, who? Uh, maybe it's, um, it was, of course, I'm having a brain fart now. <laughs> uh, the author... Bourdain? Not not Bourdain. Um, oh man, he he wrote talking to strangers. Uh, uh, yeah, I really wish I, I read. That dude, I'm coming very handy right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's gonna it'll come to me. I'm sure it will. But it's just the idea that like in New York City, they were able to like um, glimpse or something. I think is it glimpse? Is that the name of the book? Blink. Um, the name blink. of the book. Oh yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell. Thank you very much. The yeah. name of the book's Blink. Malcolm Gladwell. And it's just like how. Like we like our surroundings influence us, you know, mm-hmm. I think it was in his, his book blink, but like when like New York crime turned around when the mayor was like, we're telling people that it's okay to graffiti, that it's okay to break windows because we're not fixing it. Yeah. We're not going through and repainting. And it's the same thing. Even in your bathroom, if there's graffiti all over the bathroom, you're telling other people who are assholes taking a piss in your bathroom yeah. that it's okay to do the same exact thing when right. it happens paint over it immediately yeah, yeah. make that standard standards that, yeah right of course awesome. and he it was you know it got to the point where you know it you know the chef, he led that place with the manager front of the house manager but he was no doubt that he was in charge of everything you know and it trickled to the wine inventory to the cleaning products to the front of the house stuff to the aprons to that you know everything was meticulous i love it man um i should have thought twice about putting that camera so close to an italian <laughs> <laughs> I'm washing your hand. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's funny. Sorry, sorry. No, you're good. You're good. This <laughs> was funny. Um, so, okay. So we talked a little bit about Marco and Pepe. We talked to, we haven't really bro- spoken about the other restaurant you were working at. Um, what was it? David's Anthony David's Anthony David's. Any, is it worth hovering over that for a little bit? No, not really. Because I mean, he, I mean, look, I learned a lot there. I took a pay cut to go over there. So I was probably financially motivated to get the hell out of there. Um, but I really believe that you learn something everywhere. So when I look back, you know, I learned what I don't like about certain things. You know, Anthony's a great place. He's not as organized as as Ian was at Marco and Pepe. Yeah, I think it's really important to get that perspective, to move around. I yeah. think a good number is, is one year um, mm-hmm. to give somebody at least one year because they're they're investing in you. Yep. Um, you know, there's a good month to two months where you're useless. Yeah, <laughs> you're totally. not useless, but yeah. you know, they're they're Bumping losing money on you. Yeah. yeah. So you gotta give them at least another ten months after that time to to get their return. But it's good to get that perspective and to see how other people do things. Absolutely. Um so w- it was around this time you started your first business, right? I did. Yeah, I was, um, so I had a, a little, I left Marco and Pepe. I had a catering, a little catering company. I used to make like, I tried to, I was I always trying to be entrepreneurial, right? So I tried to like, hey, maybe I can talk to Boar's Head and have this program where we can offer like cool sandwiches branded like for gas stations for places that don't have kitchens and do that. And I did that for a while and it was great. Um, but that's not me. That wasn't, it wasn't creative enough for me. I missed that restaurant vibe. It was a lot of time by myself or a lot of time with 
you know, part-time people who just were helping me for a larger gig or whatever have you. So it's, um, yeah, that was my first thing. But I learned a lot about how to read leases. Okay. What did you learn? <laughs> that you need to read them. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in a, uh, I had a deli kind of catering space in Jersey city and, uh, I was actually union city and they had, it was in a co-op. And if anybody knows anything about co-ops, they're like the last form of discrimination in this country and you, they can do whatever they want to you at any time. And, um, Basically, they were like, yeah, you need to be out at the end of this month. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, read your lease. And I was like, and sure enough, that was it. Like, they were like, yeah, we're going to get somebody else in here. And I was like, fuck. All right, oh, okay. <laughs> so um, what are the things you think most people miss on their leases that you learned during the time that you pay attention to? Man, um, assignment and subletting is a big one. Yeah. What your rights are. Um, you know, Depending on how much experience you have, you have a lot more leverage to ask for things that that most people, you know, startup restaurants can't, yep. you know, guarantees, uh, security deposits. Um, but there's a lot of, depending on where you are, if you're a shopping center, a co-tenancy clause is important. If you're in a shopping center where there's a Whole Foods and they're a big driver to the center and you're like, oh, when people are done going to Whole Foods or they're done going to Equinox Gym, they're going to come to my place. Well, they're, you can have a clause in there that says, well, hey, look, if Whole Foods decides we're out of here, well, now clearly the traffic's not going to be same the same in the in the center you can have a possibly negotiate a lower rent okay. you can have an out clause possibly but um you know i think the big mistake is not actually taking the time to educate yourself on what's important for you yeah and i think especially when you're first time like you're just happy to have a space you're like a space i have a space this is the, my dreams come true and you're just like blinded you know you get the 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 horse blinders on right and you're just yeah. like looking at like and you're not paying it's attention emotion. you just where do i sign yeah right? it's just emotion you want it you see yeah, it exactly you got to be careful um so what ended up bringing you to the british virgin isles you were there 2008 do you by chance i think you might have gotten there just after it's a small island though um I was there for, I, I visited, my friend lived there for a while. Does the name Jeremy Melanson ring a bell to you? No, but his no. face might. You know the, the yard? Yeah. Well, the yard was gone <laughs> by the time I was there. Yeah, yeah. I think he's part of the reason why it was gone by the time you were there. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, people who love that place. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah, what, what brought you to, to. So, I was at Marco and Pepe. Yeah. This dude named Ed, who I'm still uh, friendly with, and I got to call him. He's a great guy. He was a drummer in a band that had like some, some real success, and he was a cook, and he was. Working at Marco and Pepe, and he decided that he was going to leave. He and his wife were going to move to Anguilla in the British in the British Virgin Islands. Okay, and he got a job, and they paid him a salary. There's no taxes. They gave him a car and a place to live. And I was like, "What? The? Like, I want to do that." Yeah, you know, I grew up on Long Island. I'm a very beach. I love the beach. I love the warm weather, and um, so it was always in my head. It was always in my head. And then after I left, after I folded up the catering company, I was like, uh, uh, looking for a job down there. So he gave me an introduction to Anguilla. So real quick, what was the reason you folded the catering company was because you just wasn't right. You didn't feel like it was right for you. you didn't they asked it. me to leave that whole fallout with a, you know, attorney and all yeah. this crazy stuff. And I was like, I don't want to make sandwiches. I don't want to do that. I want to cook. Yeah, it's not worth it. This cook. isn't worth the fight. So again, like that thinking at Morgan Stanley, I was like, I'll get me out of here. I, I want to go do this. That sounds cool. I can live in the Caribbean. I can live, be by the beach. Awesome. Let's do that. Yeah. Side note, this industry is a plane ticket to anywhere in the world. And yeah. I think not en- enough people, young people recognize that if you can cook, if you can sling and you know, you're worth, you know, your weight, like you can go anywhere, man. Yeah. Like, and you should go everywhere. So keep going. So, um, I would, I went to talk to the guy in Anguilla and it was all good. I was going to go there. And then something happened. Anguilla is like the size. It's tiny, real tiny. 
and it's British. Yeah. So there's a lot of hurdles to, to get over, you know, um, to work. And basically they said you can't take a job away from Anguillans and they created a very specific category. So unless you're like a doctor or specific type of architect or something that they don't have on the island. Um, clearly they have cooks, they have yeah. people. So um, I wasn't able to do that. So my buddy said, you should just check out the U.S. Virgin Islands. And I did. I sent my resume out. I got like, I sent out 15 resumes, to, which is basically every restaurant in St. John and St. Thomas. And uh, I think I got 12 re- replies. So, but the thing is there, anybody who wants to know, and I'm sure this is still the case, is it doesn't matter that it's a U.S. territory. So many people say that they want to work there and they contact these places and then they never show up. Yeah. So they're like, so labor down there is a real, real challenge. So they're like, love your resume. Let us know when you're here. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't want to go there unless I'm going to have a job. Yeah, I don't yeah. have the money to. And they're like, well, we don't want to talk to you unless you're here because they gave me the whole rundown. So I was like, all right, let's go. So I got a job. I had a little bit of money to get by for a little while. And um, that was it. I took a job working in St. John at a place the the restaurant owned, the company owned four restaurants on the island. And I originally started working at a restaurant called The Balcony. Okay. Um, I think I've been there. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful views on the beach. It's a balcony yeah. um, on the on Cruise Bay. It's an awesome spot. Okay. Um, how long? So you got there in two thousand eight, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. My memories. How long awful. were you there for? I was there for three seasons, so that's like two and a half years. Okay. Um, when was this? I mean, this is what set you up. You came back to the U.S. and you you opened. I don't know why I'm struggling with the name of the restaurant. Uh, Pulpitina. Pulpitina. Yeah. Um. Was that like immediately off the heels of getting back here or did that did some time pass? So I was down there for a couple of seasons and you'd come back. You would come back in the summer is the off season there yeah. because everyone's why are you going to go yeah. to the beach? When, yeah. So yeah. Um, I came up here and I was like, well, I can make some money while I'm here. Yeah. Uh, but I still had my house, my apartment down there. Everything was my dog was there. Yeah. Uh, somebody was watching my dog. <laughs> so I um, got like basically like a consulting job uh, working at a Spanish tapas place and I met um, a chef there, his name is Joe Zadori, who actually went on to start Black Tap Burgers. Okay. Um, but he was a Michelin star chef, actually worked for Donald Trump out in Vegas. Okay. And he gave me a gig um, helping him get his restaurant off the ground, which was very cool. There was a seated table kind of before This is the Black cool. Tap or another restaurant? No, this is, was a restaurant called, damn, I can't even remember the name, what it was called, South Fork Kitchen in Bridgehampton. Didn't last very long. Okay. But it was a beautiful, beautiful house, had a little farm on the premises it was surrounded by a lot of long island farms um but there i met um my would-be partner who was um joe's best friend and he was like i know you live in st john but if anything changes let me know you know i think we would work well together okay so is it before we start unpackaging this mm-hmm. i'm curious um anything we should know about st john uh key lessons things you learned the hard way this is your first time as an executive chef is it not Leave yeah the kitchen really running my own kitchen um, the takeaway there is it's paradise for people who are visiting there. It's really, really, really rough to live on an island when you're not ready for what that's all about, you know? So, so what, what was rough for you? Um, well, the places that you can live, it's expensive. Yeah. You know, the rents are basically on par with what they were here in the Northeast. Yeah. And you work a lot and the, the place that the, what you pay for, a one bedroom apartment in St. John at the time was $1,500 a month. You know, it's the might not have air conditioning. 
Yeah. You know, it's not common to have air conditioning if you live there. It's common yeah. in the hotels. It's common yeah. in the restaurants. But in, if you live there uh, and it's hot, so yeah. if you don't like there a lot of people go down there and you can just tell, like, you're not going to make it. It's going to yeah. be way too hot here for yeah. you. So, um, which I, I was okay with. But, you know, there's no plumbing. There's no underground plumbing. So you're on the cistern. So there's a lot of times you run out of water. Yeah. And if you run out of water, you can't use the toilet. You can't use the shower. You can't mm. wash your dishes. Can't. So you have to be very flexible and realize, okay, I can buy water here. I can shower at the beach for the day. People who are too rigid or used to having certain products that they need, and you can't get them now. You yeah. can only get them in one place. And if you need anything else, you have to get on a ferry to go to St. Thomas, which just means you have to take the day off. And the yeah. restaurant business, that means you don't get paid. Yep. So um, there's a lot of challenges. So. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not as, as dreamy as you might think. Thanks for getting into that because I think there's a lot of people that probably, you know, are after hearing that are considering, oh, I could do like a seasonal thing where I can go in the winters. I can go to St. Mm-hmm. Thomas, get away from the heat and come back and get like a summer gig at like, you know, the beach or something like that. Uh, which I mean, if you're young, then go for, for it. For sure. You know, go for you get it. the do experience. Uh, but it's it's good to know that if you want to, if you're planning on making a life out of it, it might not be as glamorous as you think. No, it's not. It's not as glamorous. But if you're into it for the experience and you want and you're young and you're like, those are the takeaways. Like, I have to be flexible. Yeah. I have to realize that things are not going to go my way all the time. Yeah. And I still have to make it happen. Okay. And that, that's, those are the takeaways from that for sure. And, and then if you're not, you're going to have a miserable time. Yeah. Any key lessons on being a first-time executive chef and, and taking the reins of a kitchen that you, you can share with us? Yeah. You, you don't know it all. You don't know it all. And you need to rely on um, people who work with you. Not for you. They work with you. They're the ones cutting the onions, the, doing the stuff you don't want to do. Um, but that's where I leaned in heavy on my Marco and Pepe stuff. Yeah. Like we have to organize this place. Yeah. You need to know if she didn't make the salad dressing. It needs to be on a prep sheet. It needs to be, you know, there are a lot of challenges there. So a lot of these cooks are Dominican. They don't speak any English. And it's, I, again, I know. think that's the power of a checklist of a prep sheet because you don't have to say it. You can just glance. And if everybody's using a master checklist, yep. and you know exactly what's going on. That's good communication. You know, it's yeah. powerful. Um, Oh, I had a thought. I lost it. Um, so any, so, oh wait, I remember what it was. <laughs> you said, okay, so you, you don't have all the answers. It's no. something else that you said. And I love that. And I just want to put emphasis on it because I mean, that's one of our core values at restaurant unstoppable. We are students yeah. and, and you have to always be a student yep. because the, the learning never ends. Never. And if you think that you're, Oh, I graduated culinary school. The learning's over. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not the case, but no. yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's results, you know, and it's results driven. This was a, a restaurant group that was very successful. They were going through a hard time financially due to, you know, the owner had bought the only distributor in the Virgin islands. So he's like, I'll go vertical. You know, now yeah. I bring in my stuff. I own the distributor and it worked well on paper, but I guess he couldn't manage it. So, um, we were held to, you know, you're there. It's beautiful. You know, the weather in St. John, sunny, sunny John, St. John <laughs> is 83 to 87, mostly to partly sunny, 30% chance of rain every day. Yeah. Um, so you see all these people having fun and you're like, Hey, I want to have fun, but you're there. You're like, you'll get your ass yeah. fired. They don't care if you're when you can go to the beach, go to the beach, do whatever you want to do. We still have to perform because the labor is so tight. And when they have somebody they can hold accountable, it's you have to have that discipline to be like, no, I can't have a drink with you guys now. It's a beautiful day. I want to do it. I can't. Or I can't go on that boat ride with you. Yeah. Um, because you got to work, man. Yeah. You don't want to be shipped back to New York in February. So ultimately, what 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 did it for you? Like, what was the end for, of St. John for you? You can't be there forever. I can't be there forever. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a party island vibe, and you know, I was again, I was older in this. If I was. 25 when I was there, maybe a different story. I might still be there, but I wasn't. And I was anxious to get back to New York. 
I wanted ownership in something. And my partner um, at what would be called Popatina was he and I started working on. And this was John's friend. Joe's friend. Joe's friend. Yeah. So. And it was um, something we were kind of just, we would, we had our MacBooks and we would just FaceTime each other and we would kick around ideas. And then all of a sudden it became a reality. And I was like, called my dad. I was like, I have to go back for an ownership stake in something, right? right? And he's right. like, this yeah. is a good point to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Who wants to be more efficient and cleaner? Everyone. So streamline your clean faster than ever before with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Ecolab's two-in-one Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house, back of house, and the third sink. Like other EPA-registered food contact surface sanitizers, it helps protect against foodborne illness and also kills SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19 in 15 seconds, and norovirus, the flu, and common cold viruses in 30 seconds, helping you reduce risk, simplify your procedures, and help protect your team, your guests, and your reputation with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Visit ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative. We're back, and you're just starting to talk about your time coming off the island. Uh, you're talking to Joe. Joe has somebody in mind for you. Um, what was paint that picture? Well, yeah, my, Joe had introduced me. Mike and I had met at that restaurant, and he was like, um, "It's happening," and it's okay, cool. So, what's the deal? He's like, you know, it's definitely an equity percentage. We'll talk about what you get here. And he, I said, you know, I just went. I didn't have anything right. Didn't have any agreement. And I was like, let's go. I'm out of here. And um, I got there, you know, <laughs> I'm now I'm on the island for a while, you know, Chef White's, yep. the whole deal. People like know who you are. It's, it's a very, it's a very cool thing. And, um, I fly back to New York. I think it was 2009, uh, late to late 2009. And, um, it's like epic snowstorm had happened a couple of days before. <laughs> and I'm like, awesome. Great. Four feet of snow. And I land in East, uh, land in New York. And we drive up to uh, Westchester County, uh, Eastchester, New York, and there's like, you know, snows, the sidewalks, you know. And I'm like, oh man, I go to the restaurant and it's like 10 seats. And I'm like, what is this? Yeah. Like, you know, we had 150 seats on the water. Yeah. You know, it was like totally different. Yeah. And he's like, no, we're going to take the space next door and all this thing. Okay. So there's a lot to that story. But, um, yeah, we, we made it happen. It was, uh, we had no money, virtually no money. And I'm, I'm not saying we had, oh, we had, you know, $50,000. No, we had no dollars, basically. Zero dollars. Zero dollars. We had a guy who had the lease and he had some money. So he was kind of like, he had just spent the money on a build out on that space before. It didn't work out. The concept was just a slice place. It just didn't work out. And Mike and I were coming with this real, like, at the time it was not, cool to have pizza that wasn't by the slice and if you had that you had to have red and white tablecloths and you had to have the garlic powder and you had to have all the stuff in the time being 2001 2000 yeah or sorry 2011 yeah this would have been three seasons after being in st john well yeah i mean, so i think it was 2010 like okay. the beginning of 2010 was when it all started to go down okay so we had we want to like why can't it be a pizza place but not be italian why does it have to be like every other pizza place yeah so you know it sounds silly because now you kind of see that everywhere but we did all sorts of different things. We put figs on pizza. We did not sell slices. We didn't have Sicilians. We didn't have anything. We didn't have Heineken. We didn't have Bud Light. We didn't have Coke. You know, we did things differently. We did craft stuff. We did 
Um, we didn't have a liquor license, so it was just beer and wine. Uh, we had a red wine and a white wine. It was very simple. What's the name of this restaurant? Pulpitina. This is the Pulpitina. This is yeah, Pulpitina, yeah. Sure. So we, we were very fortunate to start out. I had 5% of the business, which was, you know, uh, okay. And then... Um, but you also were... I'm sorry, that, that was your... That was your equity, but you were taking a paycheck. Yeah, right. right. I was yeah. also working there. So, um, so much to get into this. I don't even know. <laughs> so it was, it was, you get know, into we, it, basically man. we, we were, we were very popular. We went, we had lines down the block. The pizza was amazing. Uh, my partner had worked at Johnny's Pizzeria in Mount Vernon, which is an institution and he learned a lot there. So we kind of did a little twist on their stuff. Uh, basically did our best to copy what they did. Uh, but we had funky toppings. We had great signature pizzas. And then we did, you know, we both had different backgrounds, Michelin star cooking backgrounds, fine dining backgrounds. And we were, we would do, you know, pasta and clams with uni butter. We would do, you know, a bunch of different things that pizza places didn't do. And in New York, pizza is a religion. They take it very seriously. If you're going to have pizza, then you need to have garlic knots and you need to have chicken Parmesan and you need to have eggplant Parmesan. Uh, we had none of that. So yeah. people came in and they were like, you're never going to make it. Literally a guy came into place and was like, you're never going to make it. You're never going to make it. And <laughs> then, <showed> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we made it, and we um, – I mean, this might be a three-hour podcast if I really get into this. But Dude, the I, long- <laughs> I don't, I'm all for the long-format podcast. Yeah. Well, we, we, we couldn't get the space next door. Okay. So we had 10 seats. So you could never do the volume nightmare. you needed. Could not do the volume. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things I talk about a lot now. Leases, or like that's like the whole thing of like real estate. I mean, it makes sense that your focus is on real estate now because – you would never want that to happen. I know what not to do. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, so why didn't why didn't that space work out? Side note: Before you get into that, I think it's worth mentioning. And I, I, Danny Myers' uh, words are coming through my head right now. Like, who says you can't? Right. And I think it's really important to like be when you do something that is something that you want to do that's from your mind. Um, yeah, it has to work where you are. You have to make sure, like, but at the same time, like, you have to. It has to be something that, in, in my opinion. It has like if you're if it's a unique if it's from your mind that's a unique selling proposition. There's no if there's nothing else like it, mm-hmm. then that's going to make you separate. It's going yeah. it's going to be a it's a unique selling proposition. I, I think I now yeah if if you think that you're onto something. Yeah. The second you think that, don't recoil back into what's normal is is my suggestion. And I think, but it's um because you're going to have more passion for that, mm-hmm. so you're going to put more attention into that and that's pizza the key. and that yeah. You have to show up. And if you don't have the passion, you're not going to be able to show up the way you need to show up to be successful. And some people argue that, that, and I do see the other side of the argument, which is you got to think with the end in mind. I'm looking out the window. No, I'm looking to see if I hit record. No. Yeah. Um, did you? I did. Okay. (laughs) You have to, you have to think of the end. Some people say you have to think with the end in mind. Um, and I think there is truth to that. Um, because if nobody wants it, then, that's also an issue, right? Like you can't be the only one in your community who wants to eat at your restaurant, right? Which I get that's a part of it too. But I think you need to find a balance. Like yeah. most things in life, there's it's all true, right? It's a matter of striking the balance. Exactly. You um, don't want to be the captain of the boat at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, yeah. That's you know that's not what we do. I mean, we and you have more. You put more interest into it, yeah. Which translates into a better product, yeah. Which yeah. your interest and your passion behind that product to the guests, it's an extension. Yes, of you. it's personal. Sure. Yes, you know? and I think that that level of intimacy translates. For and sure. you have to be able to move on if it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. This yeah. didn't work. Boom, uh, take get rid of it. Or you have to be able to move to where you think it will work. Right. Exactly. You got to yeah. be able. To, you have to be able to tinker with something and work and. and not knowing or knowing that it doesn't work is just as important as knowing that hey I should stick with this yeah and that it which might work. I think is something we might get into later on 
um, the significance of ghost kitchens mm-hmm. of, of testing your product. You can do the same thing with a pop up. Yep. You know, oh, yeah. that's why it starts. That's I think well, getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. But like you know, start small. And that's yep. why I say start small and make sure you got something before you you so you know try to get people to sign. You know, give you a, a loan for like a brick and mortar that you're yep. attached to now. Like, does it even work? Right. Um, so, but your concept did work. Worked like crazy. But the the issue was you you couldn't do the volume to justify. And people were pissed. They were pissed because you come into an Italian, what people think is an Italian restaurant. Yeah, we didn't have the typical stuff. We didn't have balsamic vinegar and all that. We didn't. We but it was pizza. Was it because of the name? Was it- well, I mean, we we had Italian food, but you know, in general, people in a cozy little place, you know, it was about the size of this room, want to enjoy. They want to sit there. They want to have wine. They yeah. want to have this. Um, we didn't have dessert. We didn't have coffee for that reason. We wanted you to eat and go. Um, so people were like, "Yeah, I love it, but I'm not. I can't go there. Yeah, you know, I can't. I can't get a seat." Yeah. So then, you know, we threw a lot of money uh, and a lot of fighting with the town. We we actually were able to get approval to start doing work over there on the other side, which what took us from. So, what was the original reason why you couldn't use the other side? So, this is real estate now. Now I know it yeah. was one building that at some time the landlord divided it in half and roughly half. And the one side was a liquor store, wine store. And the other side was a deli restaurant. Which deli. is where the Palpatine is. Right. Yeah. So we had the deli pizzeria on the one side. And the other side was a retail space. Now, in the town of East Chester, so every town is different. So don't just think a retail space can be a restaurant. And you got to know your zoning. Retail is zoned differently than restaurant. So that had to be retail. Had to be a retail store. Um, unless you get a use variance. Which is a lot of it's a fancy way of saying unless they'll let you. <laughs> yeah, permission. <laughs> yeah. Which is really silly because it's the same space. You know, you can you can you can they're connected in the yeah. back. Like we div- you divided it. You know that it's one space. So they were like, um No, you can't, but then they were like, Yes, you can and allow us to submit plans to do the work. So what advice do you have for somebody who might need to go through or maybe they're in the same issue? where they have an opportunity to grow organically laterally to the space next to them, but they're running into something like what, what, what advice do you have for somebody who has to go through the same process you guys went through? Well, before you sign anything, make sure the use that your the restaurant use is allowed is permitted there because if it was a restaurant and it's been closed for a while, it, there may be an issue there. Every town is different. Every city is different. You know, what you can do in Miami is different than what you can do in New York for, for in some ways. A lot of, a lot of it's the same. A lot of it's not, but, um, in these smaller towns, you know, these boards and these people have a little bit of power and they stick to the letter of the law. And a lot of that zoning stuff has not been changed in years, you know. So just get in writing, do your own homework and find out like, hey, um, I'm going to be potentially looking at this space. I want to put a restaurant there. Is that permitted? Uh, is that use permitted in this space? And get in writing. Yeah. And I think go to an expert. You yeah, know, this lawyers. is yeah, <laughs> sure. lawyers and real estate, you know. Uh, brokers you know like they're and you can't do it by yourself and if you're gonna get a loan for anything get it to get a team around you yeah. you know like so you can hire people to make sure that when you invest five hundred thousand dollars what's another what's another one hundred thousand dollars on that to make sure you can put a team together Dude, to do yeah it right. i mean that that is that is true and what really what restaurant people need to know and a lot of a lot of them do multi-unit operators get it they know the dynamic you don't pay me yeah and for me, you know, I've got now 20 years of restaurant experience. If I'm working with you, not only do you not pay me, 
but in, we're basically I'm like on your team and yeah. we're like consultants. Yeah. Like I'll we'll walk the so, space and yeah. very few brokers would walk the space and be like look at that grease trap. Yeah, and make sure you communicate with that person yeah. so they know right. your vision so they can see and you know have some foresight. Oh, like if that's if that's your plan then this 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 and this yeah. you have to consider. Uh, it's important stuff. Um so okay, so you guys do get the space yeah. approved. How long did it take? And here's where it gets awesome. Um took longer than it should have. Took about 6 months to build it out. Too much money. Um, we open. Um, You're talking about the space next door. And the space next door. Yeah. But they wouldn't let us connect the space in the front. We could only connect in the back. So if the kitchen was on one side, the extra dining and another little bar we put on the other side, the, we could, the servers and everyone, the staff could run around the back and the bathrooms are back there. But if you had to go from one side to the other, you couldn't go through the space. You had to go outside. You had to go outside. Okay. Ridiculous. So now so, they hated us because of that. You guys spent six months doing this and you can't even walk through the restaurant. So we, we played by that rule for a little while. And then we had, this sounds like a joke, but I swear to God it's true. We had the all the council people were there. They were ecstatic that we were there. We changed the look of that whole block instantly. Yeah. And we, um, the mayor there, grand opening. What town is pictures, this again? Eastchester, New okay. York. And we um, had a party. Pictures with them. Loving it. Drinking beers behind the counter, pizza. They're loving it. They're posting about it, and they're you know the local village stuff. Facebook was just becoming a thing at the yep. time, and um, then we get shut down. They told us that that use is not permitted in that space, and everybody who was at that little pre-party, the mayor, the council people, and everybody was like, "Hey, hey, we we don't know anything about zoning. We just were invited to a restaurant opening." Yeah, so we were like, "What?" what? Like we have stamped plans, yeah. approved plans. So we hired an attorney, and for about forty thousand dollars, and about three months, we got it changed. Okay. So for three well, months, I don't understand. You, you, what was the word you used? The term that you used to get permission? Permitted use. Permitted uh, use. Zoning variance. Zoning variance. Yeah. You got that? No, we didn't get it. Oh, I thought you did. We didn't get it, but we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know that you needed something. So they explained that to us in the process. Like you can't have it because this is zoned retail. Okay. I so, thought, okay. So we're, we're kind of backtracking a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. 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 So this Sorry. is, yeah, no, you're good. So the emotion but, of it is more, more interesting to me than how I learned it. But yeah. That's so true. this is before you, cause eventually you, you did, you did, you did get the space, right? And you we were able to connect it in the back and people could go to the front, but they were pissed that you, you couldn't walk through the restaurant, <laughs> right. but this all happened way before. This all happened. All happened at basically the same time. So we we were using we were using the space. We opened. We had the part. We were using it. They were ticked off that that the dynamic was almost worse now. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Uh, and then they said, "Okay, we got a lawyer." The lawyer's like, "Okay, here's the thing. The way that it's structured." And he kind of started explaining the use. You can have food over there. It was so crazy. So fucking. You can have food over there, but you can't serve it. So they have the counter service. You have to take it outside and go around yeah. to go sit at your table. So you're going to take your pasta and clams with uni butter outside in January. <laughs> to, yeah, slip on the ice on the way. Yeah, exactly. Could so, you have put like a, a awning or like some kind of like? We did. We turned it into a market for a little while. Yeah. When we're like, hey, you guys, can have, we can run some stuff over. It just wasn't working. No, it was a not, massive no headache. We're not. Yeah. yeah, we used to sell all the stuff we would buy, like cat's vinegar. Yeah, and we would um, we could sell six packs to go and stuff like that. But anyway, long story short. They eventually turned it back after the lawyer put a bunch of heat on them. We showed up at the city council meeting with like 40 people in Pulpatina shirts. And um, that's how we got it done is we um, got the use changed. Gotcha. Um, all right, man. Uh, 
fine. It took, I mean, it was so, no, the, so, so, so is, many things happened around there, that. There's but, so many lessons we're pulling from this. Yeah. It's gold. Thank you. Um, sorry that it has gotten in the way of your camera, too. I realized <sighs> I unplugged my, my computer and my battery. And I was like, oh, 6%. Shit. That's uh, <laughs> so, okay, man. Um, eventually, I know in my research that eventually this partnership didn't work out. What happened? Or is there anything else in this story that is worth talking about before we get to your exit? No, not really. I mean, we we eventually got it open. Lawyers, we spent too much money. So basically the lesson there was be clear on what's going on. You have to take ownership. You can't expect anybody else to do it. So you yeah. got to be clear on what, what it is. So then we opened another location, bought out the original partner. I increased my equity from 5% to 30%. Okay. Uh, and I started taking on more of the... That was one of my questions. Like you have a, a brand, a concept that works. What's Killer. stopping you from just scaling and going to a place where that you know like we screwed that up that's that's a little bit further down the line but i'll tell you how we screwed that up but um i started taking on more things like the accounting the bookkeeping and payroll no but literally we opened cranking doing sales cranking cranking we went from doing like six thousand a week to doing twenty six thousand a week it was just thirty thousand thirty five thousand it just kept going up and nice. up and up and we were ecstatic and we bought out the original partner brought on another guy who uh, was a better fit for us, opened another location, and the three of us were like a third partner each. So um, I started running the – helping with the build-out. I was on site, like basically sat in a construction zone on my laptop building out the manuals, the recipes. Now we had to have some infrastructure, right? Um, so the lesson there is don't open your second one until you're ready. <laughs> um, How do you know you're ready? Well, paint that picture of what ready would have – what you would have liked to achieve. <laughs> what I know now or what yeah. it made us think then that we were ready? What you know now knowing that you weren't ready. Like what you know now to know that you weren't ready then. We had no systems. Okay. It was so reliant on, on myself and my partner that if anybody else came in, we didn't have anything. We didn't have the Marco and Pepe system really. We had a quasi little system of it, but we were just so – I mean it was day, night cranking yeah and it was um it's like trying to fix an airplane while it's in the air yeah yeah, yeah like or like somebody else said you're building the hammer and the house at the same time yeah and and we could keep that together in one restaurant it doesn't translate into another restaurant yeah i think that's the power of starting small you know like when you start small i feel yeah. like you can you can work through the systems you can open under the radar you know but i also think that some people don't start because they want it to be perfect you know what i mean they want it to they think that like, oh, like, until we have all of our systems exactly the way that they need to be. But then here's the thing with that approach is like they're never going to go exactly the way you want it to. You have to kind of like start and see what it needs and then create systems around the needs. Yeah, right? especially if the space is different. Yeah. So we took a different space now. Now we had 80 seats in this much bigger space. Now we had a full liquor license, um, you know, and you have to bring other people on. You, yeah. Now you need – if Mike and I are there doing – that the new space – meeting with an architect doing things you have to do that are not related to generating revenue in your other restaurant yeah you need somebody there doing that you know because that place is still cranking yeah so um we didn't quite have that so so. you you weren't you never you you were doing great but you never got to the plant the place where you could replace yourself with a team and systems we didn't know what we didn't know we didn't know that we we just were like a little bit cocky about what we had going on and we were just like Let's open up this place. We need a bar vibe. This tremendous space was available at a great price in a very affluent town, Larchmont, New York. Um, and we eventually figured it out. We realized who we had to bring on. We brought in some people. But it was never got to the point where it was smooth sailing. Yeah. It was 1,000 miles an hour all the time. And we had a bigger picture in mind. So that's what kept us going. So when you when you went from 5% to 30%, how, long, how much time it elapsed? 
a year and a half, a year and a half. So in the years, it's now like 2012, 2013-ish. Yep. Um, how long were you with this this company? Uh, 2016. Okay, so three years went by after that. What happened over the next three years? Um, we were busy. Uh, East East Chester location stayed busy. Yeah. We we did. Um, when you say you each know. East Chester location, you're talking about the, the original. The original. Location. So you kept yeah. both locations. Yep. Okay. So East Chester is in Westchester. I know it sounds weird. Larchmont is in Westchester as well. A little bit about a ten minute drive, um, but like four miles apart. Okay. It's um, but these towns they don't really travel to each other. They're okay. kind of on either sides of the county. They're a little bit different, but. Yeah. Um, you know, so it started to evolve, and then it started to like get a little contentious in that, you know, Mike and I are both chefs, and everyone knows that analogy. And we had to break up our rules, our 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 duties. And I think he didn't see that running the business side, like making sure the financials were in order. You know, social media was really just starting. Yeah, being on top of that, being on top of, um, you know, making sure we had consistent recipes. You know, we went through a thousand different managers before we found the the, the real the real one. Um, somebody had to be managing the front of the house and you know that back of the house front of the house the front yeah. of the house never thinks the back of the house has it that hard yeah and the back of the house thinks that the front of the house is on easy street so i was like straddling that line and um you know we eventually got to the point where partnership agreements and employment agreements and it, i think he just thought like you're not working as hard as me hmm. you know he's very old school and i'm carrying the pizza up the steps I, i'm doing this i'm doing that Okay, but then who's going to do this? Well, we yeah. need somebody else to do it. Well, we can't afford them. Yeah. It's me. And like, so our work's like, not the same. Yeah. yeah a lot like, of that. I'm happy you got into that because I was sitting on this question. I had it locked and loaded. And the question was going to be, if Mike is in your seat right now, what's he saying about you and why it didn't work? Uh, you kind of got into it. Yeah, that's my, well, that's my, that's my real podcast. I One day I'll have him on the show. I would love to do it. But, you know, he would probably say, I mean, he's a little older than me, so maybe he's getting a little bit more gentler in his old age. <laughs> I don't know. But like... You know, I'm forever grateful to him for even thinking of me to have that opportunity as much as we don't talk now at all, him or my other partner. Um, he would probably say, you know, it wasn't a good fit probably from the beginning. You know, we met each other. Did and, you get that same vibe? Did I think about you, that about you him? you vibed with Joe, not Mike. Well, Joe was his friend. Yeah. And Mike and I worked side by side for a, while, a long time. and Not a long time. Enough time yeah. uh, that we got to know each other, hung out outside. It was, you know, we got to know each other as friends. Yeah. Would you have put a ring on it back then? Would you have married Joe? <laughs> No. Or not Joe. Uh, Mike? Mike? Yeah. No, because there were a lot of things about him that all out of the kitchen were not a, a vibe with, with me. For the record, he I'm not, kid, we're I not saying younger. anything bad about Mike. You no, know no, what no, I mean? No, That's no. not the, the intention here. But one lesson I have learned is that you don't go into business unless you're willing to put a ring on your business partner. Right. Meaning it's a marriage. No. Meaning you can you see the rest of your life with this person? Because that's the goal, right? Unless you're looking to build something and sell it. The goal is to like have a, a a business that lives as long as you do, and your partners are going to be there with you, right? Like, so can you can you marry this person? No, I couldn't get through the day with yeah. the person. Yeah. You know, he would say the same thing about me. We would go days without talking to yeah. each other in the same space. It was terrible, 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 toxic space. Yeah, uh, and I learned a lot about what not to do there. That's you know, great. You got to be above that. Yeah. Um. So okay, like if you could distill the biggest lessons that experience gave you to this day, what, what would they be? Give us like three of the most important lessons from that experience. Um, you got to communicate open and honestly with your partners about everything. Uh, you all have to know the business. I don't care what your role is. You need to at least acknowledge and understand that 
what the other person is going through. Yeah. And what they may need help with or yeah. what, you know, right people in the right seats, you know, whatever the analogy is, you know, yeah. but the analogy is to me. So that's the first lesson right there. Right. And I want to come back at you and I, cause, cause I'm thinking when you're saying this, I can't help but think of the E-myth and in the E-myth, which stands for the entrepreneurial myth. That's a must read for anybody who's listening to this. It's on audio. If you don't like to read, um, orgs, org charts, when the day yeah. you start your business, What's every role that needs that, that 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 business needs, and then put a name next to it. Put a title, all the titles, then put names next to it. Yep. So you can be on the same page for who's responsible for what. Um, because what will happen is what you shared, where like you're off doing these things that you think are really important. Meanwhile, your partners are like, you know, like where the fuck is like where what, is what's going guy? on? Yeah, yeah. Like, what's going on? Um, so you all need to be on the same page. Um, which you know you wouldn't have like we're learning as we go, right? Um, what else? That was one. What's the, the the second and third big lesson you learned? Is you know formalize everything with a partnership agreement and an employment agreement, so that you both that you all understand. Like I work and get this yep. for that, uh, and this is what I do, yep. and this is what you can hold me accountable for. So what's an employee agreement? Employment agreement basically says, hey, Kyle is this chief operating officer of this place, and these are his responsibilities and duties. Um, if he fails to do it, this is what happens. Yeah. It's basically like a rider to your partnership agreement. Okay. Does that live someplace after you put it together? Uh, yeah. I mean, it lives, you know, the attorney keeps a copy. You know, it serves as, you know, when you do butt heads, like what we can and can't do. Yeah. You know, we made it very friendly. You know, like if you were doing something that was against the restaurant, you basically had 30 days. We would tell you in writing or something like it's a you center line. Yeah. So you don't drift. It's rules. Like yeah. you don't play football has rules. If you throw yeah. football on the grass, doesn't mean you're going to have a game. You yeah. Know, you need to have rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, uh, so that's, uh, so the first one is, uh, knowing your rules. The second one is committing it, formalizing it in written documents, specifically a partnership agreement and an employment, employment agreement or employee agreement. Um, and the set, the third one, what's the third big lesson that you distill from that experience? Oh man. I mean, aside from the stuff we learned with the, the leasing and, and zoning and all that stuff, that was, that was a big one. But really it is, is it, it kind of really only boils down to under the same umbrella of understanding what each other, what you all do and what value you bring to the table. You know, I learned that just because somebody, this maybe is the third one, money does not need to be equity forever. You know, money, you can get money anywhere. Like you can get money from a bank somehow, some, or you can get money from somebody who's like, here's the money. I don't want to go to a meeting. I don't want to do anything. I might come by every once in a while. You know, like a 401k. They're going to give you the money and they're going to expect the rate of return on it. Um, but we gave equity to somebody who didn't have any restaurant experience. They had money and they, it just muddied the waters. Yeah. Okay. I'm happy that you're, you're using this as your third because you put a video together on your Instagram account mm-hmm. of re- your take on partnerships and when you should give people equity and when you shouldn't give them equity, what percentage of equity they should get depending on what they're doing. Do you remember any of that com- the, any of that video? Can yeah. You, can you just drop that on us right now? And maybe we can. I don't know if I can link to a, a a video. Maybe I can. If you have the original, I can like put it in the show notes or something. Yeah, but I think it, it was gold. Basically, it's um, if you're going to be working in the business and you're going to be um, and not putting money in, you know that's a different percentage than if somebody is putting money in and working in the business. So there's a lot of variables of what you can bring to the table. But basically, the way I would like to I like to see things structured is that if you're working in the business and you're a partner and you're getting salary, this is what you get as equity. I think it's twenty five or thirty something percent. Um, you know, if you're just going to be an advisor to the business, or if you're just going to come in and work and not put in any money, 
you know, if your two partners put in money and you didn't put in money, well, you're not going to have as much equity as them because it's just not the same thing. Yeah. So, you know, five to 10% for that. So you're going to come in like, hey, I have some experience on what I can help out. I just don't have any money. Cool. Don't expect to get more than 10%. If you do, just keep your mouth shut and take yeah. it. Um, if you're going to be on the board, like you're in like a bigger restaurant groups bringing advisors, they're like a quarter to 1%, yeah. right? Like you're really just getting their Rolodex. There's no expectation of seeing them every yeah. week or month. You could email them or call them yeah. and zoom them yeah. um but there's they add up a value that means that they don't have to be there you know they're a lawyer they've expanded you know chipotle or they have real value to you but they can't be there what the if they're time. just money just so the just money investor what i like to do is um you gave me the money we're gonna make you a partner 80 percent partner 80 percent pay you back on a preferred rate on the money what um, amount of time is ideal do you think it's tough. depends on the raise and what you're doing, but like as fast as possible. Yeah. Basically, just saying we're going to pay you back eighty at eighty percent of the profits at a preferred rate. Um, once that is paid back, that agreed upon dollar amount, uh, it switches. You're twenty percent, and we're eighty percent. Okay. So if that's two of you, adjust the profit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, I don't know why. I and then it, it. then it switches. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other big variable that came out kind of in a roundabout way, you mentioned it: two chefs in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. If you're going to partner with somebody, make sure that they are bringing different skill sets to the table. Yeah. You right. Know, like compensating you like front of house, back of house. You see those partnerships all the time, you know, um, back of house and financial, you yep. know, or like operations, yep. you know, um, make sure that you're rounding yourself off the collective, you know, that for sure. And I think a lot of people get in trouble because uh, they like somebody and they want to go into business because they're buddies, but they do the same exact thing. Yeah. It's just like, okay. Yeah, man. Like it's, it's like we were talking before we started here was you know, lean into your strengths. Yeah. A chef, it's fun to chefs cooking every once in a while, right? You can really throw down and really get yeah. some, some good shit put out. But at the end of the day, you're like, oh, wait, we haven't paid. We, why didn't, why didn't Baldor show up? Oh, we didn't pay the invoice. Well, no one yeah. paying attention to it. I mean, what do you, what do you feel about this statement? You can't do it today without partners. 100%. Yeah. And I, I, I would rather have more partners and less equity to achieve a bigger vision than yeah. more equity and less partners. And to it's, stay funny. Small. it's funny. It's funny because I bring, that comes up a lot. And I, I personally, I agree. I mean, I just, I, I made that same. That's the same. And I make a lot. I think you, to be competitive, to be at the top of the game, you can't do it alone. No. And to attract onto yourself the people that are going to help you get there, I think you, they deserve equity. Yeah. You know, if you're going to get the best of the best, they should have skin in the game. Um, yeah. Look like, I mean, people don't get it, but you don't need to own a hundred percent of zero, yeah. you know, 20% of a restaurant that does $10 million a year is worth a hell of a lot more. So don't get caught up on the equity percentage. It's a, you know, if you have an end game of growing your concept, you don't need to, you can't hold on to, to, to everything yeah. because people are the, the right people aren't going to get involved with no equity or little to no equity. Yeah. You know, so I just talked to a guy um, here in Connecticut, and he's like, "No, we give equity to like everybody. Yeah, like we own seventy five percent. Him and his wife own the restaurant. We gave five percent to the chef. We gave five percent to the manager. We gave five percent to this guy. And the idea is to use this as a farm system to grow the concept. So that's the name of the game. Is, is you, you got to don't 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 figure out what you want. And I think that's a really good point you make. And I think everybody should look at their first restaurant as a farm to grow people to invest in their visions, their strengths. And that's how, what, that's what the best restaurant tours do. Mm-hmm. They're not growing restaurants. They're growing people yep. and investing in people. And then they go 50, 50 with the people that they're bringing up yep. and that's how they scale. Yeah. Um, and, it, and they vertically integrate and they figure out ways to like, you know, Oh, like you love making tortillas. 
and we have a Mexican, like three Mexican restaurants, guess what? You're going to own the tortilla manufacturing company that we create, and you're going to be a 50% partner, right. and we're going to sell our tortillas to all of our restaurants. Because I can't do it without you. Yeah. I know that I can't do it. Yeah. And you can. And, and we can also, value. and you're really great at making tortillas, and we need that in this market, so we can also sell it to other restaurants. You yeah. Know? Like, it's just thinking like that. And, um, and, like, people know, they know that, like, hey, you know what? I know I like you. I'm going to give you some equity. And like, I just like to think that people, well, I don't like to think, I hope that people can take the emotion out of it. And I was like, Hey man, I really like you, but you and I kind of do the same thing. So why don't you do what you do in a different concept? Yeah. Yeah. Right. We can do, do that. But, um, it's, you know, a lot of times people just force a square peg through a round hole and you'd rather figure that stuff out now then when you're open for four years and shit hits the fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of ironic. The only time I hear people who say you like, you know, be careful, like avoid partnerships are in business with their significant other. Mm. And I'm like, aren't you married to like, aren't that's they in a, the business? Rough, and they're yeah, like, yeah. they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, isn't that, well, could you do it without your wife or your husband? No. Well, isn't that a partnership? Yeah. Right. And aren't you married to him? Yeah, like, right. yeah. And like, they're like, Oh yeah, I guess that is a partnership. I'm like, yeah. Like, we both, well, that's the thing that wasn't really sour. I would say overall, and Mike would probably say the same thing if he was here is, you know, we both thought we didn't need each other. Yeah. You know? So I'm talking about literal marriages. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, like people who don't think you need partners <laughs> are married to their partner. Yeah. Like, like I'm like, why, what, what do you call your significant other? Like yeah. they're in the business. Like, my, my wife is like my CEO. Yeah. Exactly. I, need, I need that right now. So, um, so we haven't even talked about La La uh, Taqueria. Um, is it worth getting into that? It's, it's a light, fun concept. A buddy of mine from culinary school, he worked at La Esquina for a while as a culinary director there. Mexican kid, uh, figured we should open a taqueria one day. And, um, no, it's, it's a great concept. We were kind of built for what's kind of happening now. And, um, yeah, we're just slinging tacos. We were yeah. doing we were doing about forty percent takeout prior to COVID, so we leaned into that and and kind of nailed that down mm-hmm. during COVID. And um, yeah, it's a great list, best tacos around, I think. So, um, I mean, we're kind of almost at the point where we're current time now. I mean, you you got out. Um, you're now a full time real estate um, broker, mm-hmm. correct term, right? Um, focusing in strategic growth. I'm probably going to get you back on the show, man, if you're willing, because I feel like we could probably get you back to do like a deep dive in that vertical of restaurant real estate yeah. for sure. Um, but is there anything we haven't discussed in like the next 10 or 15 minutes you think that you know, we could really add more value to the conversation as far as like your areas of expertise? I know you, you're following Ghost Kitchens pretty closely mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. What, what, what are your take on Ghost Kitchens? So you know, in doing what I do, I work for a company called Saber. We do commercial real estate advising across the country for restaurant brands. So my goal is to hook up with, you know, an emerging restaurant concept, three to five units of plans to expand partners that get it, you know? Um, but what I like about what's happening now, you know, prior to COVID, if I'm working with an emergency restaurant, uh, emergency, emerging restaurant group here in New York, and emerging yeah, they're all, it's always emerging. <laughs> um, they, if they want to see what it's like, the Miami market is like, they have to spend a lot of money, you know, to open up a twenty five hundred square foot space in Miami. They have to have a lot of infrastructure. They have to have a lot of everything. They have to be ready to move from New York to Miami or Dallas, wherever they're going to go. Um, but now, you know, you can take elements of your menu, your best sellers. Everybody knows, you know, eighty percent of your menu, twenty percent of your menu drives eighty percent of your sales. Uh, and you that can eighty twenty rule, man. Yeah, it shows up everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, and you can pop up a ghost kitchen in Miami for a fraction of the cost. You know, you could be open in um, a week if you really wanted to, if you were really going like, we just sell 
you know, carne asada tacos, whatever the case is, you, you can be open in a much shorter period of time with much less money and you can be delivering your product. You know, we're talking about deliverable products. We're not talking about the whole restaurant experience, right? And you could test the market prior to making a million dollar investment in that yeah. town. Yeah. So that's where I see a yeah. huge business value of Ghost Kitchens. So something, a conversation, like originally, I won't lie. When I first heard the idea of Ghost Kitchens, I was like, is this really what we're coming to? Where like there's like already, like you, like the thought for me, the evolution for me for the restaurant industry is it became a very intimate industry or was a very intimate industry that was super dependent on relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as big brands started to, to evolve and come in, it, it was more about systems, processes, procedures, and, con- and, and consistency was more important than the relationship because you had to scale, right? It was about that sort of thing. And then I think about ghost kitchens coming in. I'm like, now there's no soul now there's, but and hear me out. Cause I'm starting to see the yeah, light. No. Um, now I'm thinking to myself, now there's no soul. Now people are literally just creating something and just, it's just a brand and there's nothing, there's like no relationships behind it. And I didn't know how I liked that. I was like, this, I don't like the direction society's moving sometimes. I'm like, the most important thing we need for everybody is a relationship is to be seen, to be loved, right? We need these things. These are human needs. And we're, we're like, we're now we're fucking ghosting each other. Yeah. Like, literally. Literally. Yeah, like, yeah. So I don't know how I felt about it, but now I think that if if you're using a ghost kitchen and you do allow there to be a personality behind it, does does it have to be soulless? Can there not be? Can you put a brand behind a ghost kitchen that isn't just colors and imagery, but the actual person is? Can it be an extension of somebody? So I think why why ghost kitchens hopped on the on the scene, you know, what COVID was because everyone was forced into delivery and pickup, and they were like, well, here's this thing that we were kind of talking about, and now this is their time. And I think what it, people originally kind of got scared about, got a little anxious about was, well, if restaurants close, where are we going to eat? You know, like people, at least around here in New York, not a lot of home cooks on a regular basis. People eat out all the time. It's like a hobby. So people are like, well, we can't. Okay, I guess we can order delivery. But I think what's happening over time is that's that's great. We can get fed. But what people miss about restaurants is the emotional attachment and what happens Relationships. there. The relationship. Yeah. The bartender. The specials. The chef that you know. You know, whatever. Like, or meeting your friends there every Wednesday for Margarita Madness. Whatever that is, you, you, you miss that social interaction. So I think ghost kitchens, uh, to an extent, can be soulless because their mission is to just feed you. You're yeah. hungry. I need to eat. I'm going to order a sub from this as place. As cheaply Boom. as possible because we're getting rid of the most expensive elements. Right. Real estate and people. Right. And that's... So that 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 makes sense to me in that people would like that, um, but I think it's going to be as we transition because I really think the what this looks like going forward is some sort of combination of the two. So you walk into a space that's probably this size, the bulk of it would be back of the house, switch things up a little bit, and you would come in and maybe I have a little table over here, I have some tables outside, but my concept is built for you to take it away. I'm not going to serve you. So if these are going to exist, they're going to exist in the form of, we do 80% of our business out the back door in terms of delivery and pickup. You can come in here and get a sub or get a pizza or get some wings or whatever. But in general, we do delivery. Mm-hmm. But I think people are still going to want to see the face. Yeah. Because yeah. if you can't deliver on experience well, at home, it's yeah. not... It's, and I think that's like, I think it's going to be a, a marriage of this world of media that's evolving. Mm-hmm. We had Sean Walshef on the show. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar yeah. if you met Sean, who's all about media first, restaurant second. Um, I think that's going to get married with this idea of a ghost kitchen where you can still be media first, restaurant second as a ghost kitchen where you are a soul, where you have a story and you're saying, hey, 
Um, this is my concept. This is my idea. And I'm going to put it up on in a ghost kitchen, put it into the market on Grubhub or DoorDash or Uber Eats. And I'm going to share my story. And I want you to know that this is where you can buy my food. And I'm not a ghost. I'm Eric Cacciatore. Right. And this is my vision. This is my dream. And this is where I can start. Right. And, and don't ghost people. Like, you know, like, like don't like create this, this, this soulless entity. Like put all of your soul into the ghost kitchen and make it an extension of your brand. Right. And that's what I would recommend people Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then use that to create awareness about pop-ups. Yep. Because in my mind, a pop-up is logistically a little bit more complicated than the ghost kitchen because you have to go into other people's spaces. Temporary, yeah. Yeah, right? It's not permanent, but you can use it to create awareness about your ghost kitchen, right? Once you, you start the, the LLC, the entity, you get a ghost kitchen, you scale to pop-ups to, to get the brand out there even more, to collaborate, and then eventually you can work into a brick and mortar. That's yeah. how I see it going. Yeah, down. and, and, and you know, some people don't care. They just want dumplings. Yeah. I don't care if they're cold. I don't care if they're where they're from. Hey, they're good. I don't even know the name of this place. Yeah. But I think to be relevant, deliver an experience through your delivery. Like make your social media so present. Put a card in there that tells your story yeah. with your picture. That's or, a good point. Yeah. What are the most creative things you're seeing that people are, are doing to elevate the delivery experience? So I'm going to give a shout out to my buddy Scott Landers. He owns a company called Figure 8 Logistics. They are right place, right time. Michelin star delivery for Michelin star rest, quality restaurants. Um, he's like, you need to be able to deliver on an experience. You need to be able to let these people know that these tacos didn't just come from a taco place. So when they open the bag, there's a little bit of a wow factor, right? So um, we created packages and this is, I got this inspo from, you know, a buddy of mine owns uh, Mexico. And he was, he was working with Scott, made an intro, whatever. And we, Branded everything, so it looked cool. When you opened it, the guac said guac, had a cool sticker. Um, we would put our, we have ordered margaritas to go. It had our big pink logo on it. Everything was an experience. We had a thing called a date night. So you open it up, it was one pitcher of margaritas, a couple tacos, a little like, you know, some chocolate you put in yeah. there, like make a little date night thing. But you got to get creative and then have it speak to your brand. Drop the name of that guy who's helping these these restaurants. Scott too. Landers. Scott Landers. I'm coming after you, man. I'd love to clip, create he some is, content with you. He is the smartest. He's an MIT graduate engineer who chose to tackle food delivery. Yeah, I think we could definitely. Uh, I would love to dive into that knowledge that he has. Yeah. And uh, thank you, by the way. You mentioned Mexico, uh, Mexico, Mexico, Mexico. Thank you. Uh, I did reach out to those guys. I think that we're going to be able to get something signed up. So Sick. one of the way I find all my guests, I'm talking to the listeners right now is I ask my current guests who they respect and admire. And Kyle was, was trying to hook me up with a bunch of folks before I came out here, but I was only here for a day and a half. So we weren't able to squeeze everything in, but I'm reaching out to Mexico as well. Awesome. Uh, we're going to try to get them on the show. Anything we have not discussed up to this point, Kyle, that you think needs to come out as part of your story and is, is something that you uniquely can add value to. Um, you know, it, it in regards to the restaurant business, um, I think right now, if you're a restaurant operator and you're looking at things that are bleak, right? We don't have we don't have a whole lot of answers. Things are looking a little, um, you know, up in the air to say the least. I think you gotta now is the time to really dig in and realize what you're still standing. Yeah, and don't give up on anything. Don't walk away from your lease. Don't um, just shut your doors and walk away. 
don't think that every restaurant in this country is going to close. Um, hold on to some optimism, right? You're an owner operator. The vaccine's out. We got yeah. two or three right now, right? The vaccine's out. Yeah. I, I do have faith that Congress is going to do the right thing and get something done before they decide to go away on holiday. You know, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's it's you know. It, not to pitch anything, but if you can go to the Independent Restaurant Coalition's Instagram and click that link to sign yeah. for the for Congress to get the signature. Now, if if we did that in say July when that link started like moving around, like is it, it's, we don't have to do it again, right? I don't think so. Okay, that's but what I you know, like I, I was surprised to learn this morning, and I did a little post on my social media. There's only thirty thousand signatures that they have. Really? Like, I, yeah, exactly. So I'm like, How Congress is, is not. I, I just interviewed this. Um, Bobby Stuckey from uh, Frasca's Food and yeah, Wine. Yeah, guest on the show here too. Awesome dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, awesome guy. So he he was got very fired up and did not, um, did not hold back and say, you know, they Congress looks at us as a bunch of burger flippers and they have bigger fish to fry, basically. Yeah, I should reach out to Bobby to help get the word out. He's deliver that message. Dude, he is. I think he, us podcasters need to come together this and, is the and time. To, to share, you know, messages for sure. Um, thank you for putting that on my radar. One other thing I'm curious about that just popped into my head. Who I know you're plugged into the ghost kitchen world. Who are the people, um, the experts that you go to for ghost kitchens, the ones that you think are really ahead of or, or paying attention to what's happening? Uh, my man, Corey Maniconi at Zool, super on top of it, super smart kid. Um, I say kid cause I'm 44 now and anybody younger than me is a kid, but, um, uh, Corey Maniconi has it figured out smart, tactical, um, I think I might have reached out to them. Smart dude. Um, frankly, I got a buddy of mine who's not directly associated with uh, Ghost Kitchens, who I rely on a lot. He, he's kind of plugged into the restaurant scene. He's not a restaurant guy, but he, he gets what's going on. Um, his name is Russ Rosenband. But, you know, ultimately, it's right now the people who get it are realizing that things like technology, uh, social media, and really just the ability to look at your concept from a different angle. Like the people who get it are, are going to be okay. You know, they realize that things that have changed their concepts, not some element of your restaurant is different. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're, uh, you know, um, Eric repair at Le Bernardin, something changed in his business. Yeah. That's, you know, fundamentally different. He still can deliver that in-house experience, but something changed. The way people pay has changed. The way he markets has changed. So the people who get it are the ones I like to connect to now is they realize that some things are here to stay and it's going to define our restaurant, the restaurant industry forever going forward. Yeah. So I, I like to make connections with people like that. I love it, man. Awesome. And one question I ask all my guests before we go to the speed round is, you know, the mission is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. We do that by making an example and sharing the knowledge of individuals like yourself. But how have you transformed as your career as a professional in this industry? You know, I was probably driven by ego a lot in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be me. I wanted to be me to do it. I wanted to do everything myself. I, would, I didn't realize that, you know, you grow, you go further with other people. Um, it's audit your circle. You know, realize who's around you. There are probably some people who can do it on their own to a certain extent, depending on the size of their operation. But, um, you know, I, I really realize what I don't know. And I realize that I learned a lot by doing. Mm. And I realize that, you know, I'm not... Um, a day-to-day -day operator anymore. You know, I, I, you know, Lala's a different, a little bit of a different story, but um, I think that I learned a lot and I want to help other people. And I think understanding the fact that you don't know anything in the beginning, taking a look back at what you learned and how you can apply that. So if you are still in the business, realize that like if the same thing keeps happening to you, 
Like, if your books are always a mess, if your inventory is never accurate, it's your fault. Yeah. I also kind of marched to beat that. Like, can people change? Yeah. But if, if you have a weakness, like, you're better off just knowing it and compensating and surrounding yourself with people who are strong where you're yeah. weak. You'll yeah. go much further together. Um, I love this, man. Great conversation. Hire slow and fire fast. Exactly. Yeah. Dude. I love this. I love this conversation. It was great. We're one more quick Thanks, break man. to thank our sponsors, and we're going to bust out a true speed round. Oh, wow. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success. Trusted by over 400 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you already use and trust like toast turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business to get three months absolutely free head over to www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free get on it Head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable to find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended POS on the show by a landslide. So there's a bunch of reasons why Toast is being recommended on the show, but I'm finding the most common reason is because of their customer support. And now, while I don't think you'll need their customer support all the time... when that Friday night rolls around and there is a question you have and you're busy, you're going to wish you were able to get right into that customer support and they will be there for you. Uh, the other reason why Toast is always being recommended on the show is because of how many other platforms integrate with Toast. So you can literally marry all the technologies in your company together. They'll, they'll work together. They integrate together and you can turn on these additional features as you need them. It's like flipping a switch. It's that easy. So that's why I love toast. That's why my guests love toast. And again, if you want to learn more, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, I'll send you a check for a thousand dollars when you become a customer. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Consistency. What is your biggest weakness? Organization. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team and you're interviewing people for your restaurant? Why do I need this person? What is your biggest challenge today? Spreading myself too thin. How are you combating that? Realizing that there's only so much I can accomplish in a day. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Respect. What is respect to you? I understand where you're coming from. I expect you to understand where I'm coming from, and it's okay if we disagree, but be nice about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service? So this is something that's common within the four walls of the restaurants you've owned and worked in, but not common throughout the industry to go above and beyond. Hmm. Well, like, what do we do that's above and beyond? Yeah. I always think that you have to, as an owner, you have to be present. And I know a lot of people get that, and that's maybe uh, a cliche, but um, really knowing that your guest, uh, that their son pitched a no-hitter yesterday, yeah, and you have, you're more, you can find that out more easily now with social media. Yeah. Um, 
be involved in what's happening there so you can understand who your be guest is and, yeah, yeah. and communicate with them when they come in yeah. and when they're not here. Yeah, I love it. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? Man, there's so many books that, I, you know, the Danny Meyer one comes to mind, yeah. but Sitting you know, table. yeah, Relentless is, uh, I have a lot of sports analogies in my life. Um, man, I forget the guy's name. Grover, I think his name is. He was Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Oh, Bryan's. yeah, Grover. Yeah. yeah. Tim Grover, I think it is. I'll look it up. Um, it just gives you the mindset of what winners really do. And it really, if you can take 1% of what comes out of that book and apply it to your business, I think you're going to be uh, yeah. an infinitely better restaurant. Tim S. Grover. Tim Grover. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Um, the next question I have for you is, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? You know, I think they don't look at their books enough. Yeah. Know the numbers. Know your numbers. I mean, like, it's sounds like, hey, we did this much this week, but how much did you make? Make it a game. And I think that's, and people are like, oh, I hate numbers. But if you make it into a game to track yourself, the version of yourself today versus the version of yourself yesterday and the week before and the year before, and you bring your people in on it and you collectively try to beat the numbers, it becomes a fun thing. Yeah. Um, And you have to to trick yourself. Yeah. And (laughs) and if you don't know how to calculate it or you don't want to know how to calculate it, know that you need to know from somebody else who's going to tell you every day at the same time every week. So much for a speed round. Sorry. sorry. Uh, Name one service you've hired or uh, this is when I say this, it's like a service. It's a person that does something, not necessarily a technology, but like a person that you've outsourced to, to do a thing. Bookkeeper. Who, who's your bookkeeper? Um, this is a way to help good people connect with good people for your bookkeeper. His name is Rob. Uh, he just moved over to a new accounting firm, but if anybody wants to know, they contact you and I'll get you the, right, the cool. you know restaurant specific bookkeeper. Do you know his last name? Marzan. Rob Marzan. We're going to get your information. We're going to try to get you some business, brother. Uh, What is one piece of technology you've recently adopted in your restaurants that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? I mean, this is going to sound like an ad, but Toast, POS. Yeah, why Toast? It does everything. Yeah. And it's so intuitive and it's connected. It's like their ability to change is, is unparalleled. Yeah, number one recommended POS on the show by far. And um, I got to give them a shout out because they, I wouldn't have been, I don't think I would have been able to survive over the pandemic if Toast didn't sponsor the show on a CPA cost per acquisition model where basically they paid me for every lead I sent them. Mm-hmm. And it kept the doors, you know, or it kept, what's the word? It kept the doors open, even though I don't yeah. have any doors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. doors. The lights uh, on. Yeah, exactly. The mic's on. Uh, the gas in my tank. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Yeah. Quick note on Toast before we move to the last question. If you guys are interested in Toast, I'm giving back $1,000 for everybody who signs up through Toast. I'm splitting my commission with you because I know you guys need it right now. Uh, If you're making the change, if you're evolving your restaurant and you want the best deal out there plus a check for $1,000, make sure you use the links in the show notes. This is episode stand to stand by for the closing thoughts. I don't know what episode this is, but I'll hook you up. Okay, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would they be? I'm not sure. I, you know, it's a tough one. Yeah. Like Just, what, what, what comes I want in, people to, to think about yeah, me? What comes in, like, if you could leave knowledge behind or anything to, behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy that you could tie your name to, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Don't think about it. Just say. I don't want people to make the same mistakes I did. So I want to give everything out that I have, that I've learned <laughs> for free. Yeah. I didn't let everybody know. That's one. Yeah. What's two? Um, and you're doing that, by the way, 
side note, he's <laughs> he's doing this. So check out National Restaurant Owners Podcast if you want Thank to you. live out that. Um, if you want to be a part of him living out his number one thing that he would do. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. Number two. <laughs> um, that, you know, that I really, really gave my all to the industry. You know, that I really can't genuinely care about my competitor, about everybody that they can, that they are doing the right thing. I'm going to paraphrase these. Share all of your information. Give everything of to yourself back. Yep. And what's number three? Um, People know about me about the industry uh, that I actually can cook. <laughs> I love uh, it. Yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah, <laughs> this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. You actually already connected me or or suggested three or four people. I don't know if you can remember them now. Yeah, I mean, look there. There are you know people like who that Mexico. I yeah, Thomas Kelly Mexico, Bill yep. Taby. He's got Kawani and uh, the Welk and uh, Don Memo up in Westport. Um, my buddy Christian Petroni from Fortina uh, Food Network. You guys might know him. They're all absolute legends um, to me, and they're hardworking guys who have made it. They're they're, they're just uh, on top of their game. They get every angle of the business, and they're just cool guys. Um, the Bar Taco guys, Andy and Sasha, they're legends in this area. They took a two unit concept and grew it to a multi million dollar thing with a huge exit. Um, they're if I could have posters on my wall. Um, they would be on my wall. Nice. You know, they're the Michael Jordan poster right, of my you, life. Now. You guys are all on my potential guests uh, <laughs> spreadsheet. I will be reaching out. Can't wait to connect. And you're, you're a few hours away, so it's a, just a day drive away. So you'll be hearing from me soon. And how can we connect with you if we want to uh, listen to your podcast? If we want to maybe talk to you about uh, real estate consulting, anything yeah. like that. Uh, Everything is linked on my Instagram. So at Kyle and Sarah um, on Instagram, the link there has links to your. Uh, interested in real estate, if you're interested in being on the podcast, if you're interested in just talking shop about restaurants. What kind of guests that. are you looking for? I want guests that can add value because I think so many restaurant owners live isolated life and prior to COVID, I mean, it's a little bit different now, we didn't share things with each other. So if I can have somebody on in a setting like this where they can talk freely about this yep. is how they do things yep. and you can listen while you're walking the dog, then I think some right yeah. now, particularly right now, Owners are maybe one contact away or one piece of information away from staying afloat. Yeah, dude, I love this. And that, that reason that you just listed right there is why I started my podcast too. And because I was listening to podcasts, entrepreneurial co- podcasts, uh, personal growth podcasts, marketing podcasts, and it blew my mind how free people were or how generous people were with their information about how they grew their businesses. And I'm like, why the fuck don't we do this? Why don't we help? Why don't we share information in this industry? We're holding ourselves back. This is exactly why we don't make any money because we're competing against each other and not sharing any information. Yeah. Like well, we- I got to say, I mean, for me, it's like a little bit of a bug out because I, for years, will listen to you while I was walking my dog. Yeah. And now, <laughs> even as I'm sitting here looking, looking, I'm listening to you in my headphones. I'm like, this is a little trippy, but yeah, that, you inspired me to, to, make you, to start my podcast. So I wow. appreciate that. Wow. That means a lot. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. Me know that. That's cool. Um, all right, man, this was great. There is no question, Kyle. You are unstoppable. Thank you so much, dude. <laughs> Thanks, man. There's an episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Kyle and Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, what a great guest and what great lessons in today's chat. I think, obviously, there's some great advice around real estate, really making sure you can execute your vision in the physical space that you're in before you sign the lease. Really make sure you can do what you plan to do in that space. Ask around, 
you know, turnover rocks. I mean, sometimes no matter how much work you do, you can still miss stuff, but you, you, you can't look into it enough. Also, I think really just great advice on relationships, uh, especially when you're getting into a bit, when you're starting a, a business with somebody, uh, make sure, especially when there's multiple chefs in the kitchen, make sure you guys are identifying the roles that you're going to be taking on and, and, and write it all out and make sure everybody knows who's responsible for what. So, you know, there's no just misinterpretation of what people are doing with their time and understanding that everything that we, we choose to do is important. And just literally putting your name next to those line items of the things that everybody is responsible for. That's your org chart. Uh, and there's really great advice too around just how to dice up equity in partnerships and what people are worth at, at different levels in the partnership. And really, you know, knowing how to split that up is super great advice that came out of today's chat. And then also he had some really great stuff with just fixing the labor expenses and really getting lean getting your labor expenses as low as possible and and being as efficient as possible in the restaurant great stuff today kyle thank you so much so like always guys just a quick reminder we need your help and there's a bunch of ways you can help and support the show first and foremost check out our sponsors if you check out our sponsors and you use the tools and services that are sponsoring the show they'll continue to sponsor i'll use the tools and services that are recommended on the show a lot of the times we become affiliated with them and we can earn a commission when we help good people connect with good people. Share this podcast with everybody and anybody you know aspiring to be great. Let's get this thing into the hands of as many restaurant operators as possible. And then lastly, come hang out in the network. Come join the Restaurant Unstoppable Network. Kyle and Sarah is going to be joining us hopefully this week to reflect on his episode. So if you found value in today's chat and you want to connect with Kyle yourself, then come join the network. Be a part of the conversation. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much until next time. Peace out.